welcome to Solutions from the Yard, a candid discussion about life behind bars and its effect on society. We'll discuss reintegration or re-entry back into the community post-incarceration. Your host for this episode is Michael Dickerson L. Welcome to Solutions from the Yard. Today's episode asks the question, does job placement workforce programs reduce recidivism? I want to welcome you out. I'm my, my name is Michael Dixon L. And joining me, my two cohorts today are Charles Hopkins and Dietrich Trent. How you brothers doing? I'm doing great. Bless, bless. Yeah, we want to. Uh, we're going to touch on, uh, you know, job discrimination, and um, you know, in this workforce industry that that help, uh, you know, brothers and sisters get uh, jobs after they re- release from prison. And we just want to touch on some of these things from my research and my findings. In the U.S. Department of Justice, Office of Justice Programs says that ex-offenders job placement programs do not reduce recidivism. It said they do not. And this mm-hmm. was the U.S. Department of Justice saying that they do not. And it says in the annotation, it says, Annotation, this analysis of the impact of job training programs and other programs designed to assist as offenders in obtaining employment emphasizes that they consistently fail to prevent recidivism, uh, although they have fostered financial independence for ex-offenders. And, um, you know, the question that we want to ask is, um, why are these programs not effective? Chuck, give me something on that. All right, well, we are, we can agree that across the board that not all programs are ineffective. But in the District of Columbia and the primary program <clears throat> that returning citizens come to in the District of Columbia, I would say emphatically they're ineffective because, one, they're not preparing a person for a career. Two, they're positioning a person to become dependent on a stipend. And a stipend is this. I got you in a, I got a program. I'm taking you through this program. I'm, I'm teaching you a certain amount of skills, but I'm only doing this to get to give you a stipend because when I wrote this program up. The program wasn't designed to get you gain you meaningful employment. The program was designed primarily to give you uh, an income. And the income being a stipend. And and I and I went through this. Myself, because I graduated from Georgetown Pivot Program. And Georgetown, Georgetown Pivot Program uh, is a program that teaches paralegal. One teaches paralegal and one, the pivot teaches entrepreneurship. Now, the program is designed to give you the skills or the information about these things. But it wasn't designed to give you a job and give you a meaningful employment. So when I got in it, I was there for the stipend. When I got out of that, I I went to paralegal. And so they were saying, like, well, man, we might want to not let, allow me in because they saying, well, I might be stipend chased. But that's the narrative you created. You created an environment where I'm coming to get the stipend. I'm not coming to get nothing because there's nothing there being offered. That's why I believe that some of them not. Because when they wrote when they write their programs up, they don't write them up with, I'm looking to give this Program is designed to give the individual coming out meaningful employment, the skills to get to gain meaningful employment, the skills to have a career, as opposed to 
uh, income coming in, and then once that falls off, the person has to go, where they going to go after that? They can't take what they learned and move forward. I'm not getting an apprenticeship in electronics. I'm not getting an apprenticeship in uh, computer science. I'm not getting something that's a model skill. What I'm getting, I'm getting information to tell me how to interview, but it's not information to tell me how to get a career or obtain meaningful employment. That's why I believe some of them are. Right, right. Yeah, um, you know, a lot of the programs that they have, um, you know, they like you said, they some of them are, are effective. It depends on which direction they they push the client because you know, like if 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 they are actually given the proper skills and certifying them, you know, mm-hmm, that's that's mm-hmm, like yeah. you said to get them a career. Right. But when you just got like a program that just say, hey, we offer money. You know, now you got guys that just like, oh shoot, I'm just chasing chasing this little stipend check. That's right. And, and, and they lose focus really on what their purpose and goal is to, you know, get actually get a trade to get some form of certification, and and that that can hinder people because you know sometimes I you know it's like like you babysitting or you putting exactly. a band aid exactly. on the situation. Exactly instead of really getting a guy a real certification that he can turn into a career. He and or I, she, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Dietrich, you know, uh, why are these programs not effective or effective to you? Great question. Well, I can speak of the effectiveness first. The effectiveness for me with these programs is what you put, what you put in it because we understand that is not a career-based pathway for no ex-offender coming from prison with these training programs. And there are some that stand that do put you on the pathway to career training. There are some. There are a few. So let me say that. And they do work, some of them. But the majority of the lot of the... Uh, programs with these uh, job placement programs and training is there's no back and real backing from the community, from the community. When I mean the workforce community out there within DC, the district of the DC, these, these businesses, these small businesses, there's these businesses, these, uh, these uh, powerful uh, fortune 500 companies that come move in DC. There's no real backing into them giving them job placements into these workforce that's going to give them a career that, that's going to keep these brothers and sisters away from mm. committing recidivism. Mm. There's no, there's no pipeline to, to keep putting a brother into, to a uh, uh, Silicon Valley. We don't have nothing, no pipeline uh, speaking of that, but it's right there next door to us in Arlington, Virginia. This stuff is going on. Mm. Technology is going on over there. But there's no pipeline for that. Why we there's why there's not no career training for that for that. I don't want to hear job. We need to say career training. Mm, that's you know, that's, that's people, important. Yeah, we gotta change the narrative. It, it stop saying because we know that a lot of these uh they get these stipends like brother uh Hawkins was talking about. They get these stipends and they give you these job placements into these up up and coming small uh, businesses that's really 
new people that's that's not from Washingtonian, there's not Washingtonian. They do they put you at their jobs to help build their businesses up. Mm-hmm. And once your your uh stint is up, your contract is up, you're not going to be hired. You're not because what they're gonna do is send them the next cohort to help them so they can get they can help their business so they don't that's have right. to that's pay their much money that's to right. their employees so their money can be up. They do this. I I I know this. That's right. That's what a lot of the contracts is going to these upstarting little businesses, and they hire the brothers and sisters coming from these jobs. Oh, we'll take we'll take on the uh twenty of your uh employees that come out of this program or such and such program. They do it. And why would I pay you when I paying you below one other thing? And I'm gonna pass it back to you, brother uh uh Dixon here, the stipend. We're talking about D.C., Washington, D.C., the nation's capital of the world. I ain't talking about just the United States. We're talking about the nation's capital of the world. And we're talking about living wages. Mm. We're talking about giving stipends that's like, what, $10? Mm-hmm. Ten, $10? Mm-hmm. What is what is, uh, what is uh, minimum wage right now? What, $17? $17 something? I think somewhere around $15. 15. Something like that. Do, you know how, do, do you understand how much a bigger wage that is? And you're talking about giving this to people for... You trying to put them onto career paths and drive, but you giving them a stipend of ten fifty for amounts for job for for job placements. Come on, yeah, you see, and, and I'm glad you touched on that because, like you say, when when we come out of prison, they have these programs that's going to you know assist you in getting a job, stuff like that. But it's always the jobs that's minimum wage, the jobs that ain't paying nothing. And for real, they really uh, getting you numb to having a low pay when they give mm. you the stipend. Because mm. the stipend can't do nothing but maybe, you know, mm. get you a pair of tennis shoes or mm. something like that. Mm. It ain't enough to pay no rent. So now they got you adjusted into accepting low income. That's right. And then once you accept that low income and just say, well, it's just a little something to pat my pockets, now they're going to give you a job. This just ain't gonna do nothing but patch your pockets. <laughs> but it ain't really enough to pay the bills. It's not enough to sustain went. you in this high cost of living that Washington has risen to. Mm-hmm. Because the cost of living in Washington is steady going up and it's not going down. So if you're giving me a job that's paying $15 an hour, what can I do with that? But live somewhere in the project, somewhere in the low income housing. You know what I'm saying? Now I'm putting myself right back in the same environment that I'm trying to escape. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And now you, you, you just like a dog chasing his own tail. You're just going round and round and round, putting yourself right back in the same predicaments that you're going to be exposed to drug selling, drug use, uh, violent uh, uh, violent um, situations, you know, volatile situations, and you you really can't escape. And then eventually you're going to get, you can get sucked right back in. Mm-hmm. So that, it, it, it's it's kind of like, you know, damn if you do, damn if you don't exactly. type of situation. Exactly. You know, but, you know, when you're coming out of prison, you really trying to change your life. Mm-hmm. You really want to, uh, you know, excel and do something different and better. And then when you put in these situations, man, that's why sometimes the recidivism rate goes up because a person can't survive. And then you have to find other means to survive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that's real important though, and you know, uh, uh, you know, I I was just um researching some stuff, man, and uh, going going into uh the Marquis Law Review, 
And when you go into the Marquee Law Review, uh, volume 898 gives an overview of Title Seven Civil Rights Act. And for those of you who don't know what Title Seven Civil Rights Act is, it's Title Seven is is of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 in federal employment law that prohibits employment discrimination based on race, color, religion, sex, including pregnancy, and national origin. Title VII gives employees a private right to action. Mm. Now, this, 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 this title, or, you know, this, this statute, it keeps, uh, you know, employers for discriminating, keep them from discriminating against race, religion, whether you're pregnant, female, male, you know, it gives it gives a certain statute that protects the employee. That's right. And, you know, upon research of the Marquee Law Review, they critique this, this statute, though. Okay. And when they critique this statute, in the critiquing of the statute, it says that in spite of some early successes, many commentators have noted the limits of Title VII in alleviating the problem of employment discrimination against ex-offenders. Some of these critiques focus on the fact that Title VII is not protective enough or is simply suited to the issue of ex-offenders, employment discrimination. They also point out that because the Title VII implies only to those in protective classes, Mm. it excludes a large number of possible plaintiffs. Mm. So it's telling you right here that in Title VII, they only protect a certain class, and that's the protective classes. And it excludes a lot of the possibilities of a plaintiff. Now, Chuck, give me some of those protective classes that they had. Uh, you, 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 you already uh, spoke on uh, the pregnancy, woman's pregnancy, race, religious belief, your sexuality, if you married, a civil reunion, civil union, you know, uh, same-sex marriage, if you're disabled, and age. These are some of the these are some of the things that are under protective class. But now, what's not protected? What's not to protect the class? And this is where we find the, the genesis of the recidiv- why these programs don't contribute to uh, a person not recidivating. Because the classes that's not protected, it says that, okay, your education level, I got five PhDs, that don't mean I'm protected. All right? Because my, my education level don't make me a protected class. My economic wealth don't make me a protective class. My social membership, I mean, all the social don't make me a protective class. And it's a illegal, illegal immigrants are not a protective class. And, and this is the one that comes in on our purview, people work for criminal records. Mm. So if you got a criminal record, then you're not a protective class. And we're talking about recidivism. In order to recidivate, that means you had to create, you had to commit a crime according to society. So when we're talking about does these do these programs help to stop recidivism? Uh, I think Dietrich outlined it earlier when he was saying like, you know, stop saying job and say career because a career gives you a living wage, a career gives you a sense of security. But when you're talking about me not recidivating, and I don't get it, and I and I'm working my job, and 
as we a client came in the other day. And he was talking about, I'm working, I like the job, but they got me doing labor that's creating a hostile environment for me, carrying mm. 40 pound buckets up upstairs and this manual labor and it's fifteen dollars an hour. I I, I don't wanna you know, I'm getting added to. This is what the guy saying. I'm getting added to. So you create a, a hostile work environment, but you can do it under the our species that I can't file no complaint under the Economic Employment Opportunity Commission, EEOC, which is the safeguard against discrimination. So I can't file no complaint of that. And if I if I complain too much about, man, well, why are you making me do all this like this? I'm, you know, I don't have no problem. Why well, I'm the only one that got, you saying like, well, you, you take it or leave it. Because you know I can't say, and I can say literally to your face, you can take or leave it, felon. And I can <laughs> say to your face, and you can say, well, I'm going to complain to the EOC. The EOC will say, well, you got a record. You're not protected under this. Under, you can't get a complaint under this, mm. which is the mechanism that society uses. So, yeah, we're not, we're not a protective class, uh, Mr. Dickerson. Mm, mm. So, in, in, in according to what was read, uh, do this this really contribute to recidivism, Dietrich? According to what, what was read and what Chuck just said. Yes, in all regards. When 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 some when a certain entity a certain entity is not protected, mm. that means all harm may be against you. Yeah, all best is all. <laughs> no matter where it comes from. That's right. right. So, but I want to break something down, right? Mm. About with, and then all this is about economy, right? And this all this is about having the protected class and not having and and those that's not protected. The root word of economy is lack. Lack of. So if we don't have those that's not protected and those that's gonna always be on the borderline of recidivism, they need stuff like this. This is why I spoke on that we need more backing of the community, of our community, because we could control our own economy. See, right now, our economy is being controlled from so, from so many people from all all over around. But we, if we get back to D.C. and controlling our economy, having that, having the businesses and everybody tying in, boom, we could get start being protected. Remember, and, and, and let me ask you this: uh, What happened to the federal bonding? Wasn't that supposed to been uh, they uh, answer to to this uh, to the uh, Title Seven is the way to, for the protection under the federal bonding that you, we was federally insured if you hire an ex offender. And, and then in that regard, and, and to highlight that point again, see that was to protect the business and not the the individual. Because I'm telling you, on the plantation, I'm saying, okay, I'm gonna insure your slave. So right. if an eventual slave die on you, you're insured to read the, whatever laws came from there. So whatever, if your tax if credit, this person comes, yes, like, I'm giving you a tax link, credit. Yeah. I'm giving you a tax credit first. That's your incentive to get it, right? But I'm telling you in the same voice that listen, whatever he do, if he do anything other than what you think he should do, you can find him. If he still, you gonna be you. You are protected, but the individual that you hired. It's not protected because, according to Title Seven, and and and, and criminal and, record. But ain't the solution is to make sure our businesses 
our small businesses within DC know about. Hey, you know if you do we do we know do if you know if you hire this such and such, we, we could turn that against it and make it make it that is an advantage for us. That same thing that you gave you, we hire you and we bond your business off. But if we if we if if we develop a more of a network and uh, a community. It turned it against them. Say, hey, we need more careers. Y'all want to put stop crime? You want to stop recidivism? You want to stop spending your tax money on this? Hey, let's buy into this, to this idea right here, man. You businesses start investing more into hiring some of these brothers and sisters, that so we can cut down on recidivism. Because Title Seven, we are unprotected. Mm, I think uh, yeah, that is, that might gonna get to a solution, but yes, go. You, you definitely <laughs> head to the game. Yes. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. um, um, uh, like me and Chuck was discussing uh before, um, yeah, I had a client that came in and I was assisting him, in uh, you know, getting jobs and stuff like that, and he was working for uh for Giant, and what had happened was he was uh getting he was getting retaliation, he was getting harassment, and he was getting put into um a hostile work environment. Mm. From the things that he was telling me that uh, one of his supervisors was doing, because he was saying that you know one one instance he had a supervisor that uh, kept he kept uh, telling him to do things, then turn around and change his mind. You know, he said he had one time he had to uh, move yeah, a pile yeah. of uh, <laughs> um, firewood from you know about thirty feet away from the where it was positioned at, and then he turned around and came back. A half hour later, say, "Oh no, nah, move it back." You know what I'm saying? So therefore, you can see that he really has some type of, uh, uh, you know, some type of envy or something mm-hmm. towards him because he was really, yeah, he was just really just trying to harass the brother. And then, then it was another instance that you know the brother was Muslim, and you know he told the man, "Look, I work any day except on Friday." Mm-hmm. No matter what the schedule is, just schedule my whole work schedule around Friday. And so they they agreed, you know. Why would why he want to schedule around Friday? Because he had to go to Juma. Okay. So therefore, you know, when they when he, they agreed, his supervisor agreed, but every time he got a schedule, he had to keep going to him and tell him, Hey man, you got me working on Friday. <clears throat> he said, you know, you I he said, I work six days out of a week. Just let me get Friday off. Hey, Mike, let me ask you something. Is religion leaves under the protected class? It's definitely under the protected class. Why he class. wasn't protected, though? See, and that's the whole thing about, you know, how Title VII got critiqued because it doesn't protect ex-offenders. And mm-hmm. see, upon research, it doesn't protect ex-offenders. <laughs> and that's where the big problem come in at, and that's where really a lot of focus have to go mm-hmm. on. Because when we come out of prison, you know, everybody else, the, the protected class can use it. Because if you are not an ex-offender, you fall under the protected class. Mm-hmm. But when you are an ex-offender, you don't fall under the protected class. Now, you you know, you you it's, it's, it's kind of like the Dred Scott decision. Mm, come on, talk about that. We discussed that earlier. Um, the Dred Scott decision, just all in a nutshell, Dred Scott was a, a slave. That was taken from a slave state across to a free state. So when that happened, he petitioned to the courts and said, hey, since I was taken to a free state, hey, I'm free. So when it went to court, 
he turned around and, and they, 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 he won in the lower courts. So then they sent it to the higher courts, the Supreme Court. Mm, come on. The court of the lane. Yeah. So then when they sent to that court, that's when the Supreme Court said, you know, Judge P. Taney said, man, a Negro has no rights that a white man is bound to respect. And see, when you really look at it, man, that's the Dred Scott decision all over again. Because we have laws that's in place, but they don't affect or they don't apply to a certain class. Mm -hmm. If you are put, if in Dred Scott decision, he was considered commercial property. So by him being property, those laws that was in, in place was they was real <laughs> they was edged in mm -hmm. stone but it didn't apply to property mm -hmm. it applied to human beings but it didn't apply to property so now when you really look at modern day slavery right now come on and that's what prison system is come modern on, day on, slavery disguised as the justice system mm -hmm. here it is when we come out of prison we in the same position Dred Scott in we in the exact same position because there's laws in place to protect us from discrimination in the workforce place. But guess what? It don't, it don't apply to us, you know, and, okay. and, and that's, and that's one of the things that contribute to the recidivism because man, once you start getting harassed on your job, Come on. retaliation, yeah. reduction to pay, yeah. you know, all these different types of things, then you turn around and say, man, I, man, I'm wasting my time trying to work. Mm-hmm. Now you find yourself in a position you making the decision. Should I return back to what I used to do? You know what I'm saying? Or is my, I'm going to keep going through this. You know, and it, it's only a few few brothers and sisters that can actually, you know, go through this, this trial and tribulation and come out when the smoke clear. It's only a few. So that's why, you know, one of the things that we see when it comes to the recidivism rate is so high because... You know, we getting we getting we getting penalized all the way around the board. Low income. Mm. Then when we do finally get a job, guess what? We getting discriminated on the job. Mm -hmm. So that you know, that's one of the things that contribute to man. You know, the recidivism. We will continue this subject in our next episode. Thank you, Charles and Dietrich. You've been listening to Solutions from the Yard. This podcast is presented by Voices for a Second Chance a comprehensive re-entry program that provides culturally appropriate, trauma-informed, gender-specific, and peer-based services. For more information, go to info at vscdc.org or visit our website at www.vscdc.org.